Chapter Four of the Conquest of Canaan by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four The Disaster. Ariel had worked all the afternoon over her mother's wedding gown, and two hours were required by her toilette for the dance. She curled her hair frizzily, burning it here and there, with a slate pencil heated over a lamp chimney and she placed above one ear three or four large artificial roses taken from an old hat of her mother's which she had found in a trunk in the storeroom possessing no slippers she carefully blacked and polished her shoes which had been clumsily resoled and fastened into the strings of each small rosettes of red ribbon after which she practised swinging the train of her skirt until she was proud of her manipulation of it she had no powder but found in her grandfather's room a lump of magnesia which he was in the habit of taking for heartburn and passed it over and over her brown face and hands then a lingering gaze into her small mirror gave her joy at last she yearned so hard to see herself charming that she did see herself so admiration came and she told herself that she was more attractive to look at than she had ever been in her life and that perhaps at last she might begin to be sought for like other girls the little glass showed a sort of prettiness in her thin unmatured young face tripping dance tunes ran through her head her feet keeping the time ah she did so hope to dance often that night perhaps perhaps she might be asked for every number and so wrapping an old waterproof cloak about her she took her grandfather's arm and sallied forth high hopes in her beating heart it was in the dressing-room that the change began to come alone at home in her own ugly little room she had thought herself almost beautiful but here in the brightly lighted chamber crowded with the other girls it was different there was a big cheval glass at one end of the room and she faced it when her turn came for the mirror was popular with a sinking spirit there was the contrast like a picture painted and framed the other girls all wore their hair after the fashion introduced to canaan by mamie pike the week before on her return from a visit to chicago none of them had crimped and none had bedecked their tresses with artificial flowers her alterations of the wedding dress had not been successful the skirt was too short in front and higher on one side than on the other showing too plainly the heavy-soled shoes which had lost most of their polish in the walk through the snow the ribbon rosettes were fully revealed and as she glanced at their reflection she heard the words look at that train and those rosettes whispered behind her and saw in the mirror two pretty young women turn away with their handkerchiefs over their mouths and retreat hurriedly to an alcove all the feet in the room except ariel's were in a dainty kid or satin slippers of the color of the dresses from which they glimmered out and only ariel wore a train she went away from the mirror and pretended to be busy with a hanging thread in her sleeve she was singularly an alien in the chattering room although she had been born and lived all her life in the town 
perhaps her position among the young ladies may be best defined by the remark generally current among them that evening to the effect that it was very sweet of mamie to invite her ariel was not like the others she was not of them and never had been indeed she did not know them very well some of them nodded to her and gave her a word of greeting pleasantly all of them whispered about her with wonder and suppressed amusement but none talked to her they were not unkindly but they were young and eager and excited over their own interest which was then in the gentlemen's dressing-room each of the other girls had been escorted by a youth of the place and one by one joining their escorts in the hall outside the door they descended the stairs until only ariel was left she came down alone after the first dance had begun and greeted her young hostess's mother timidly mrs pike a small frightened-looking woman with a prominent ruby necklace answered her absently and hurried away to see that the imported waiters did not steal anything ariel sat in one of the chairs against the wall and watched the dancers with a smile of eager and benevolent interest in canaan no parents no guardians nor aunts were hailed forth o nights to duenna the junketings of youth mrs pike did not reappear and ariel sat conspicuously alone there was nothing else for her to do it was not an easy matter when the first dance reached an end mamie pike came to her for a moment with a cheery welcome and was immediately surrounded by a circle of young men and women flushed with dancing shouting as was their wont laughing inexplicably over words and phrases and unintelligible monosyllables as if they all belonged to a secret society and these cries were symbols of things exquisitely humorous which only they understood ariel laughed with them more heartily than any other so that she might seem to be of them and as merry as they were but almost immediately she found herself outside of the circle and presently they all whirled away into another dance and she was left alone again so she sat no one coming near her through several dances trying to maintain the smile of delighted interest upon her face though she felt the muscles of her face beginning to ache with their fixedness her eyes growing hot and glazed all the other girls were provided with partners for every dance with several young men left over these latter lounging hilariously together in the doorways ariel was careful not to glance towards them but she could not help hating them once or twice between the dances she saw miss pike speak appealingly to one of the superfluous glancing at the same time in her own direction and ariel could see too that the appeal proved unsuccessful until at last mamie approached her leading norbert flitcroft partly by the hand partly by will-power norbert was an excessively fat boy and at the present moment looked as patient as the blind but he asked ariel if she was engaged for the next dance and mamie having flitted away stood disconsolately beside her waiting for the music to begin ariel was grateful for him 
i think you must be very good-natured mr flitcroft she said with an air of raillery no i'm not he replied plaintively everybody thinks i am because i'm fat and they expect me to do things they never dream of asking anybody else to do i'd like to see and even ask jean bantry to go and do some of the things they get me to do a person isn't good-natured just because he's fat he concluded morbidly but he might as well be oh i meant good-natured she returned with a sprightly laugh because you're willing to waltz with me oh well he returned sighing that's all right the orchestra flourished into la paloma he put his arm mournfully about her and taking her right hand with his left carried her arm out to a rigid right angle beginning to pump and balance for time they made three false starts and then got away ariel danced badly she hopped and lost the step but they persevered bumping against other couples continually circling breathlessly into the next room they pressed close to a long mirror in which ariel saw herself although in a flash more bitterly contrasted to the others than in the cheval glass of the dressing-room the clump of roses was flopping about her neck her crimped hair looked bruisy and there was something terribly wrong about her dress suddenly she felt her train to be ominously grotesque as a thing following her in a nightmare a moment later she caught her partner making a burlesque face of suffering over her shoulder and turning her head quickly saw for whose benefit he had constructed it eugene bantry flying expertly by with mamie was bestowing upon mr flitcroft a condescending commensurative wink the next instant she tripped in her train and fell to the floor at eugene's feet carrying her partner with her there was a shout of laughter the young hostess stopped eugene who would have gone on and he had no choice but to stoop to ariel's assistance it seems to be a habit of mine she said laughing loudly she did not appear to see the hand he offered but got to her feet without help and walked quickly away with norbert who proceeded to live up to the character he had given himself perhaps we'd better not try it again she laughed well i should think not he returned with the frankest gloom with the air of conducting her home he took her to the chair against the wall whence he had brought her there his responsibility for her seemed to cease will you excuse me he asked and there was no doubt that he felt that he had been given more than his share that evening even though he was fat yes indeed her laughter was continuous i should think you would be glad to get rid of me after that <laughs> poor mr flitcroft you know you are it was the deadly truth and the fat one saying well if you just excuse me now hurried away with a step which grew lighter as the distance from her increased arrived at the haven of a far doorway he mopped his brow and shook his head grimly in response to frequent rallyings ariel set through more dances interminable dances and intermissions in that same chair in which it began to seem she was to live out the rest of her life now and then if she thought people were looking at her as they passed 
she broke into a laugh and nodded slightly as if still amused over her mishap after a long time she rose and laughing cheerfully to mr flitcroft who was standing in the doorway and replied with a wan smile stepped out quickly into the hall where she almost ran into her great-uncle jonas tabor he was going towards the big front doors with judge pike having just come out of the latter's library down the hall jonas was breathing heavily and was shockingly pale though his eyes were very bright he turned his back upon his grand-niece sharply and went out of the door ariel turned from him quite as abruptly and re-entered the room whence she had come she laughed again to her fat friend as she passed him and still laughing went towards the fatal chair when her eyes caught sight of eugene bantry and mamie coming in through the window from the porch still laughing she went to the window and looked out the porch seemed deserted and was faintly illuminated by a few japanese lanterns she sprang out dropped upon the divan and burying her face in her hands cried heartbrokenly presently she felt something alive touch her foot and her breath catching with alarm she started to rise a thin hand issuing from a shabby sleeve had stolen out between two of the green tubs and was pressing upon one of her shoes sh said joe don't make a noise his warning was not needed she had recognized the hand and sleeve instantly she dropped back with a low sound which would have been hysterical if it had been louder while he raised himself on his arm until she could see his face dimly as he peered at her between the palms what were you going on about he asked angrily nothing she answered i wasn't you must go away and quick it's too dangerous if the judge found you he won't ah you'd risk anything to see mamie pike what were you crying about he interrupted nothing i tell you she repeated the tears not ceasing to gather in her eyes i wasn't i want to know what it was he insisted didn't the fools ask you to dance ah you needn't tell me that's it i've been here for the last three dances and you weren't in sight till you came to the window well what do you care about that for i don't she answered i don't then suddenly without being able to prevent it she sobbed no he said gently i see you don't and you let yourself be a fool because there are a lot of fools in there she gave way all at once to a gust of sorrow and bitterness she bent far over and caught his hand and laid it against her wet cheek oh joe she whispered brokenly i think we have such hard lives you and i it doesn't seem right while oh, we're so young why can't we be like the others why can't we have some of the fun he withdrew his hand with the embarrassment and shame he would have felt had she been a boy get out he said feebly she did not seem to notice but still stooping rested her elbows on her knees and her face in her hands i tried so hard to have fun to be like the rest and it's always a mistake always 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 she rocked herself slightly from side to side i'm a fool it's the truth or i wouldn't have come to-night i want to be attractive i want to be in things i want to laugh like they do 
to laugh just to laugh and not because of something funny yes i do i do and to know how to dress and to wear my hair there must be some place where you can learn those things i've never had anyone to show me oh grandfather said something like that this afternoon poor man we're in the same case if we only had someone to show us it all seems so blind here in canaan for him and me i don't say it's not my own fault as much as being poor i've been a hoyden i don't feel as if i've learned how to be a girl yet joe it's only lately i've cared but i'm seventeen joe and and to-day to-day i was sent home and to-night she faltered came to a stop and her whole body was shaken with sobs i hate myself so for crying for everything i'll tell you something he whispered chuckling desperately gene made me unpack his trunk and i don't believe he's as great a man at college as he is here i opened one of his books and someone had written in it Pigamutru Bandry, the class try to be he never noticed and you ought to have heard him go on you'd have just died ariel i almost burst wide open it was a mean trick in me but i couldn't help showing it to him joe's object was obtained she stopped crying and wiping her eyes smiled faintly then she became grave you're jealous of eugene she said he considered this for a moment yes he answered thoughtfully i am but i wouldn't think about him differently on that account and i wouldn't talk about him to anyone but you not even to she left the question unfinished no he said quietly of course not no because it wouldn't be any use i don't know i never have a chance to talk to her anyway of course you don't her voice had grown steady you say i'm a fool what are you you needn't worry about me he began i can take care Shh, she whispered warningly the music had stopped a loud clatter of voices and laughter succeeding it what need to be careful joe assured her with all that noise going on you must go away she said anxiously oh please joe not yet i want she coughed loudly eugene and mamie pike had come to the window with the evident intention of occupying the veranda but perceiving ariel engaged with threads in her sleeve they turned away and disappeared other couples looked out from time to time and finding the solitary figure in possession retreated abruptly to seek stairways and remote corners for the things they were impelled to say and so ariel held the porch for three dances and three intermissions occupying a great part of the time with entreaties that her obdurate and reckless companion should go when for the fourth time the music sounded her agitation had so increased that she was visibly trembling i can't stand it joe she said bending over him i don't know what would happen if they found you you've got to go no i haven't he chuckled they haven't even distributed the supper yet and you take all the chances she said slowly just to see her pass that window a few times what chances oh what the judge will do if anyone sees you nothing because if anyone saw me i'd leave please go not till shh a colored waiter 
smiling graciously, came out upon the porch bearing a tray of salad, hot oysters, and coffee. Ariel shook her head. "'I don't want any,' she murmured. The waiter turned away in pity and was re-entering the window when a passionate whisper fell upon his ear as well as upon Ariel's. "'Take it!' "'Ma'am?' said the waiter. "'I've changed my mind,' she replied quickly. The waiter, his elation restored, gave of his viands with the superfluous bounty loved by his race when distributing the product of the wealthy. When he was gone, "'Give me everything that's hot,' said Joe. "'You can keep the salad.' "'I couldn't eat it or anything else,' she answered, thrusting the plate between the palms. For a time there was silence. From within the house came the continuous babble of voices and laughter, the clink of cutlery on china. The young people spent a long time over their supper. By and by the waiter returned to the veranda deposited a plate of colored ices upon ariel's knees with a noble gesture and departed no ice for me said joe won't you please go now she entreated it wouldn't be good manners he responded they might think i only came for supper hand me back the things the waiter might come for them any minute not yet i haven't quite finished i eat with contemplation ariel because there's more than the mere food and the warmth of it to consider. There's the pleasure of being entertained by the great Martin Pike. Think what a real kindness I'm doing him, too. I increase his good deeds and his hospitality without his knowing it or being able to help it. Don't you see how I boost his standing with the recording angel? If Lazarus had behaved the way I do, Dives needn't have had those worries that came to him in the afterlife. Give me the dish and coffee cup, she whispered impatiently. Suppose the waiter came and had to look for them. Quick, take them then. You'll see that jealousy hasn't spoiled my appetite. A bottle-shaped figure appeared in the window, and she had no time to take the plate and cup which were being pushed through the palm leaves. She whispered a syllable of warning, and the dishes were hurriedly withdrawn, as Norbert Flitcroft, wearing a solemn expression of injury, came out upon the veranda. He halted suddenly. "'What's that?' he asked, with suspicion. "'Nothing,' answered Ariel sharply. "'Where? Behind those palms?' "'Probably her own shadow,' she laughed, "'or it might have been a draft moving the leaves.' He did not seem satisfied, but stared hard at the spot where the dishes had disappeared, meantime edging back cautiously nearer the window. "'They want you,' he said, after a pause. "'Someone's come for you.' "'Oh, is Grandfather waiting?' She rose, at the same time letting her handkerchief fall. She stooped to pick it up, with her face away from Norbert and towards the palms, whispering tremulously, but with passionate urgency please go it isn't your grandfather that's come for you said the fat one slowly it's old eskew or something's happened she looked at him for a moment beginning to tremble violently her eyes growing wide with fright is my grandfather is he sick you better go and see old eskew's waiting in the hall he'll tell you she was by him and through the window instantly Norbert did not follow her. He remained for several moments looking earnestly at the palms. Then he stepped through the window and beckoned to a youth who was lounging in the doorway across the room. 
there's somebody hiding behind those plants he whispered when his friend reached him go and tell judge pike to send some of the niggers to watch outside the porch so that he doesn't get away then tell him to get his revolver and come here meanwhile ariel had found mr arp waiting in the hall talking in a low voice to mrs pike your grandfather's all right he told the frightened girl quickly he sent me for you that's all just hurry and get your things she was with him again in a moment and seizing the old man's arm hurried him down the steps and toward the street almost at a run you're not telling me the truth she said you're not telling me the truth nothing has happened to roger panted mr arp nothing to mine i mean here we're going this way not that they had come to the gate and as she turned to the right he pulled her around sharply to the left we're not going to your house where are we going we're going to your uncle jonas's why she cried in supreme astonishment what do you want to take me there for don't you know that he stopped speaking to me yes said the old man grimly with something of a look he wore when delivering a clincher at the national house he stopped speaking to everybody end of chapter four